are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. It is Thursday, January 14th, and today on the show, we are going to be getting into the defensive side of the football. This has been a long time coming, but we had uh, some news over the course of the past four or five days worth of podcasts uh, that have pushed this concept back into the week after our end of season kind of reaction week. And uh, I'm not too upset about it uh, because I think this is kind of a great buffer now. Kind of get the sense based on the timeline over the course of the past couple of days that uh, everybody's a little over the quarterback talk. And the quarterback talk, unfortunately, it's it's not going to go anywhere. There's going to be debates. And this is what happens when you're relevant, right? You know, we, we said that when the Dolphins made the change in season two to a Tongavello as the starting quarterback is welcome to relevancy. Everybody's going to have an opinion about your football team, unfortunately. And um, it, it does get tiresome and cumbersome talking about uh, debating what is going to be a static set of data points over the course of the next eight months or however long until we have definitive answers on what direction the Dolphins are going to go and how they're going to build around Tua Tagovailoa. So defense today, uh, which I'm excited for uh, because this was the side of the football that I thought had a lot more positivity to take away from this season versus the offensive side of the football. Not that both sides aren't moving in the right direction, right? But obviously the Dolphins finished sixth in the NFL in scoring defense, and that despite a 56-point burger they gave up here at the end of the season, which, bless them, uh, they had a great run before that. You just kind of wish from a statistical standpoint you could throw out uh, the first four games in the last game of the season. But it's not how it works. Dolphins allowed 338 points on the season, 21.1 points per game. You compare and contrast that to the numbers that they conceded in 2019, which was 30.9 points per game. They were dead last in the league in scoring defense, 994 points. Don't worry, I'm not just going to sit here and ramble off stats. Um, But I do want to set the table from the personnel perspective uh, what the big advancements were. 494 points to 338 points. Money well spent securing all of the pieces defensively, the Emmanuel Logbas of the world, the Kyle Van Noys of the world, the Byron Joneses of the world. And I know that there's concerns about some of these players, you know, fans skeptical about, you know, is Byron Jones going to live up to this contract? Well, now we got David Howard's going to be looking for a new contract and rooting and basing it off of the Byron Jones contract and saying, oh, I'm not even the highest paid player on my own team. I know some people have questions and concerns about what, Kyle Van Noy brings to the table for the cap hit that he's going to bring. We're going to get into all those guys today. But the first place my mind goes defensively, to be honest with you, is the pass rush production. And I think this is a much better embodiment of what this was supposed to look like. You know, Brian Flores came in year one, and they they didn't really have the horses to do a whole lot of anything. 
right? Well, this year, uh, because you bring in so many new pieces, you have some developing talents. Andrew Van Ginkle's looking like an excellent steal. Zach Sealer, uh, getting him in the waiver wire process, uh, excellent addition. Uh, those two guys combined for nine sacks this past year. Uh, the full slate uh, sack leaders for the Miami Dolphins, Emmanuel Agba, nine. Jerome Baker, seven. Kyle Van Noy, six. Andrew Van Ginkle, five and a half. Shaq Lawson, four. Zach Sealer, three and a half. Elandon Roberts, one and a half. Christian Wilkins, one and a half. Brandon Jones, one. Nick Needham, one. Camus Grugier-Hill, one. I like it. I like that there's that amount of dispersion, and this Dolphins team is the first Dolphins team in franchise history to have three separate linebackers, Baker, Van Noy, and Van Ginkle, all log five-plus sacks on a, in an individual season. You look at the quarterback hits, too, the quarterback hits distribution. Uh, the six top sack getters on the team, starting at Sealer and working their way up, everybody had at least 10 Hits on the quarterback. Agba, 21. Baker, 11. Van Noy, 10. Van Ginkle, 10. Shaq Lawson, 18. Zach Sealer, 11. So one of the things that we will talk about as we kind of work our way through this group is how does this group get better? One of the things that I said uh, last week when we wrapped and reacted to the season was you have to now start to skew your team-building process to start beating the teams in your division. And it's become apparent, unfortunately, that the Buffalo Bills are going to be the team the Dolphins are contending with for the foreseeable future in the AFC East. So you have to generate a team that is capable of beating the Buffalo Bills. I think there is some room for improvement amid this group with that in mind. One of the things that we did anticipate for this Dolphins pass rush coming into the season that there wasn't a 10-sack-a-year guy on the roster. And Agba got damn close. And Agba had a phenomenal year, and Agba should have had 10 sacks. And I would make the case, based on the value he brought to the Dolphins, with the forced fumbles, the turnovers, uh, the hits, the sacks, Emmanuel Agba should have been a Pro Bowler this year. I get it. It's kind of a numbers game, whatever. I don't care. Emmanuel Ogba deserved a Pro Bowl berth for the pl- the performance he put on the field this year. But this distribution tells you what? Not just that the Dolphins rotate a lot in the front seven and based on matchups and scheme specifics, they'll bring in more Van Ginkle or they'll bring in and sprinkle in more of the heavy-handed, even front guys with, with Ogba and Lawson with their hand in the dirt. These guys, which we knew, bring pressure. You know, the Amoeba defense, uh, the NASCAR package, everybody's standing up in interior gaps. Uh, There's zero blitzes. You know, you've seen a bunch of showcases and spotlights on these things. But to play some of the more dynamic teams and quarterbacks, you do need to be able to win organically. And what I mean by that is your front four or front three or however you're going to choose to break it up and line it up in your base defense in that individual weekly matchup does need to be able to win with just the front. 
because that's how you get the best of both worlds against quarterbacks is you can heat them up by winning with the front and dropping as many bodies into coverage as possible to squeeze the throwing windows. Now, how many times for the Buffalo Bills in, in the Week 2 situation did we see them try to play coverage and drop guys out, but they had no push to get to Josh Allen? And then when you tried to blitz him and you brought extra bodies, the ball's coming out quick, usually on a man-beater over the middle of the field. So I think as we work through the punch list, this is what we did for the Dolphins' offense last Thursday. Creating a punch list on where this Dolphins defense needs to get better, I'm thrilled with where the pass rush is at. But if this defense is going to hit the heights that we want it to, if this is going to be a championship caliber defense that is capable of winning the AFC East and winning 12-plus games in a season and making a deep postseason run, we do need an organic pass rush. We need a designated pass rush specialist. That is not to say that this is a player that has to only play on third downs. Uh, this is not to say this is a guy who only rushes the passer either. But you have to have a guy who can thrive winning one-on-one -on -one pass rush situations so that you know when those kinds of games show up on the schedule, you can still drop seven or eight into coverage, and you're still going to have a modest chance of forcing the quarterback to throw the ball. Everybody remembers what Cam Wake was like for the Miami Dolphins, right? That presence, even if he's not an every-down player, needs to be a presence that this Dolphins defense adds if we're going to level up and reach the heights that we aspire to. When it comes to getting or staying in shape, nothing feels as good as that feeling of accomplishment, of hitting your fitness goals and feeling great about yourself. Echelon can help you get there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected bikes, mirrors, rowing machines, and their all-new Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity is, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your own home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you on thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes, Always available when you need them, and unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone, and one membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. Right now, you can try any Echelon fitness equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com NFL to get started. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com NFL to get started. Since we're talking about rushing the passer, we may as well just continue and get into the secondary, um, in which uh, I'm going to make no bones about it. The very first thing that I need to do is issue an apology to one Bobby McCain, because all season long, or all off-season, I should say, all spring, all summer, I talked about the need for the Dolphins to identify a high post safety, free safety that could play, was capable of playing in the middle of the field. I talked about how Bobby McCain, in the first nine games that he played, didn't really showcase a lot of appeal before he got hurt in 2019 and missed the rest of the season. Bobby, I thought, did a really nice job playing high post safety for the Dolphins. Uh, I know you, depending on where you look, you can peruse around 
and see pro football focus only graded him as a 62 uh, and that he was a middle of the pack safety. But Bobby's value extends well beyond coverage. And Bobby wasn't even bad in coverage this year. Pro football reference credited Bobby McCain with being targeted 16 times and allowing 10 receptions and allowing a passer rating of 64.3 on targets into his area throughout the course of the entire season. It's pretty good. 64.3 for a high post safety who played 950-something snaps. Now, he did have missed six missed tackles. Uh, some of them felt like they showed up in the last few games of the season, but Bobby, let's be fair to Bobby, was playing with an injury throughout the course of the end of the year. Um, so Bobby has alleviated for me personally the concern of like, oh my goodness, we really need to find a high post safety. Bobby can do that. And Bobby's value to this team as a leader and a communicator, and Brian Flores talks all the time about the importance of having an effective communicator on the back end and communication for assignments with your defense. Bobby McCain successfully did that for Miami. That's great to have a box checked. No, because coming into the season, this was one of the biggest areas of concern that I had is well, our starting free safety has only played nine games at free safety. Well, Bobby started 15 games. He, start, he played in all 16 uh, and did well. He did really well. So beyond Bobby in the secondary, do we have to – what needs to be said about Xavier Howard? Ten interceptions, 20 passes defensed, a forced fumble, the passer rating allowed of under 50 throughout the course of the entire season. This is the defensive player of the year. I really don't care that Aaron Donald is in the divisional round, his defensive tackle, and T.J. Watt had 15 sacks, uh, and he's like the fifth since 2010 to have X number of sacks and X number of tackles for loss and X number of forced fumbles and whatever. Because Xavier Howard's the first corner in like 15 years to get double-digit interceptions in a season, and he was locked down. Terrific. So uh, the the only thing about Xavier Howard moving forward is what does the contract negotiation look like? We talked about that uh, earlier this week. Elsewhere in the secondary, if I'm going to come up with a punch list item here for where to get better, uh, the Dolphins, in my opinion, need to continue to address the corner position and get better players available to them for depth. You know, we have Xavier Howard, we have Byron Jones, we have Noah Igbenogany who is going to be a developmental player, you know, they they seemed reserved to put him in the nickel, uh, so they left him at outside corner and let him be a backup at outside corner only. I respect that. Uh, especially when you have two high-priced corners the way that they do, a developmental guy, kind of long-term view, this can be a guy who can step into uh, one of those roles as they have to make financial decisions. But the other corners on the roster, Nick Needham, Jamal Perry, you extend to uh, futures contracts and IR, and you look what they had on the practice squad, and, and names like Tino Ellis, 
Javaris Davis. Where's the depth? You know, the Dolphins have some safety options that can cover. But much like Preston Williams was this player on the offensive side of the ball for the 2019 Miami Dolphins, I think Nick Needham was this player on the defensive side of the football for the Miami Dolphins. The 2019 Miami Dolphins, because they were so talent-depleted, afforded players a greater chance to showcase themselves than what you would typically see on a typical team. But as this talent gets better, the players who took advantage of those opportunities because they were so talent-depleted, it becomes increasingly more clear why these players were UDFAs to begin with. And Preston Williams, uh, and this is not an offensive podcast, I know, but I just want to complete this individual thought because it encapsulates both of these players very well. Preston Williams, really high flashes. Really irregular results when you target him in coverage. He's caught about half of his targets over 16 games in the NFL. Uh, Drops have been a problem. From a route running perspective, he wins vertically, uh, shows some good ball skills, but uh, separation underneath and, and winning at the catch point with consistency has not been a hallmark of Preston Williams. Nick Needham. UDFA steps into a nickel role, kind of becomes an outside guy 2019 by the end of the season. He's back in the nickel full time. Uh, he was targeted 64 times, allowed completions on 65% of his attempts. 548 yards allowed and conceded in coverage. 232 of those yards came after the catch. Nearly half of his yardage came after the catch. He allowed, he has allowed in two seasons, uh, 11 touchdowns in coverage and a passer rating over... 138 targets of over 100 in two seasons combined. Now, I know nickel corner is a very unenviable spot to play. And Nick Needham has played for the Miami Dolphins a significant amount of snaps. He's played 1,359 snaps defensively over the past two seasons. He's only played 50 special team snaps, so he's almost exclusively playing on defense. He played 67% of the snaps in 2019, 60% of the snaps in 2020. And over that time frame, passer rating allowed of over 100, yards conceded nearly 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns. This is a player that now that you have really dynamic, athletic corners on the outside, now that you've upgraded the rest of the town around him, it becomes easier and easier to look at the nickel corner role and say something has to change here. And that didn't even get into the penalties for Nick. With how many times illegal contact, defensive holding, panicking with his back to the football. Nick Needham in 2020 accounted for seven penalties uh, defensively. Two in week two against Buffalo. Defensive pass interference and defensive holding. Uh, Illegal contact, week four. Illegal contact, week five. Defensive pass interference, week five. Illegal contact, week 15. Defensive holding, week 16. So seven penalties on the season. That might not seem like a lot, but the Dolphins' defense in its entirety for the entire season logged 34 penalties. 
20%, 21% if you're rounding up, of the Dolphins' defensive penalties in the year 2020 came on account of Nick Needham. Now, Nick Needham, uh, the previous year, in 2019, penalties accounted for. Illegal use of the hands, Week 8, Pittsburgh. Defensive pass interference, Week 8, Pittsburgh. Defensive holding, Week 9, New York Jets. Defensive holding, Week 11, Buffalo Bills. Defensive holding, Week 12, Cleveland Browns. Defensive pass interference, Week 12, Cleveland Browns. Illegal use of hands, Week 12, Cleveland Browns. Defensive pass interference, Week 14, Illegal contact, week 15. Defensive pass interference, week 15. So that's 10. So 17 penalties over the course of the two seasons in coverage for Nick Needham. And they're all defensive pass interference, defensive holding, illegal contact, or hands to the face. And the guys played 1,300 snaps. That's a spot I dial in on, whether it's Noah Igbenogany, whether it's somebody else in free agency, whether it's somebody in the draft. You need to marginalize the UDFA talents that were given a platform on your team because your team had no talent in 2019. Those players need to continue to become marginalized and become, if anything, really high-quality depth players because you know what they are, you know where you can put them, you know where they can win but they cannot continue to be featured pieces on your roster if you're going to build upon a 10-win season and make sure 10-win seasons plus come each and every year. So as I look at the secondary, I'm really pleased with the play of Bobby McCain. It's alleviated a potential team need. Xavier Howard's a stud. Byron Jones, I wish, had more ball skills, but you knew coming in, if his back was to the ball, he really wasn't going to find it all that well. He did log two interceptions this season, which doubled his career total coming into this year uh, with Miami. More added depth, continuing to add depth at corner, getting nickel coverage option that you can count on week in and week out. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the past 20 years. So whether you're looking for new engine control modules brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even new carpet, you can go to rockauto.com and shop for all of your auto and body parts needs from hundreds of manufacturers. And best of all, in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and easy to navigate. And best of all, prices are exactly the same for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you go anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com right now for all your auto and body parts needs. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. The NFL playoffs are here, and while the Dolphins are not qualified, it does not mean you cannot still be a winner this winter. There's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust for all of your online sports bets, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sports book experts. So we went through pass rush. We went through secondary. Let's look at the linebacker group specifically and, and kind of give some call-outs here because I think there's a lot of positives uh, that should be recognized. Uh, Jerome Baker, 112 combined tackles, 
seven sacks, 11 quarterback hits. Uh, maybe not necessarily the best coverage option. Uh, I don't think he necessarily has great feel and peripheral vision when he's out in coverage and space, but he's a rangy player. Uh, I think you can do a lot worse than Jerome Baker. Uh, and this is a player that the Dolphins are going to have to make a decision on uh, in the upcoming 12 months as far as, you know, is he a player that they want to keep here long term? I would advocate for, you know, if you remember back in 2019 when Brian Flores first got here, there was a lot of buzz about Jerome Baker and what they thought he could be as a multi-tool linebacker. And he kind of became that player this year for the Dolphins once they got more complementary pieces around him to avoid putting him so frequently in stack inside the box linebacker reps uh, in which he has to charge down and, and stuff up and, and try and stun and, and keep gap integrity and run fits. Uh, thought they used him much more. Uh, I like that he had opportunities uh, to play in attack mode on third down and really play forward. Uh, he allowed a career-best 86.1 passer rating. Uh, he was targeted 57 times, completed 40 attempts of those 57 but 86.1 passer rating was not credited with any touchdowns allowed against his coverage. His yards per target this year was 6.1. Compare that to 8.2 last year and 9.1 the year before that. Really took a big step forward. Uh, he was very, very productive as a blitzer. He was blitzed 25% more frequently this year than he was last year, and he obliged by going from one and a half sacks to seven sacks, and from eight pressures to 15 pressures. And that's only on an extra 24 attempts as a blitzer. So uh, Jerome Baker, I thought, became the player the Dolphins hoped he would be in 2019. He became that in 2020 when they had more horses to work around him. Kyle Van Noy, um, I want to give him a shout out as well because he does a lot of dirty work stuff for the Dolphins. Uh, but he came in, and when you compare and contrast what he's done over the body of work of his entire career versus what he's done or what he did in Miami this year, what he did this year was right in line with every season he has had in the last three, four years uh, since he really blossomed going to New England. Uh, from a pass rush perspective, five and a half sacks, three and a half sacks, six and a half sacks. Those were the last three seasons in New England. Six sacks this year in Miami. He had more tackles for loss this year, 10, than he had in any other year in his career. Uh, he had the second highest quarterback hits total, 10. And when you looked at Kyle Van Noy on third down, he was used most often as a rush and pressure player. And um, he only had do the math, 13 more rush attempts than what Jerome Baker did. Measurable number, comparable number of sacks, one less pressure. So he was just as effective as a linebacker in blitzing situations as what Jerome Baker was. And he's a better in-the-box defender than Jerome Baker is. More of a perimeter player. Uh, I know he got dogged a lot in the two games in which the Dolphins... Um, did not have success stopping the run. The New England game week one was one. I know some people had some 
questions about is he executing his assignment? And the other one was the Denver game. Um, and even to a lesser degree, the Arizona game when Kyler Murray just went nuts uh, because they drew up and had up a lot of really good fits against Kyler, and Kyler just broke angles in one-on-one just by being an elite athlete. Don't expect any linebacker to, to contain Kyler Murray one-on-one in the hole. Uh, but the New England game and the Denver game were the two games that I distinctly remember questions of Kyle Van Noy and you know, being a presence on the edge. But you got to remember, too, um, when you are the edge defender, your primary responsibility is to turn the run back inside. And I did see Kyle Van Noy in those instances step up and challenge a puller outside the tackle box and force the ball carrier to tuck the ball back up inside. And once that happens, now it becomes, okay, where's your safety in the flow? Where is your backside or your stack linebacker? How are they scraping over top of the play? So it became pretty popular for Kyle to kind of just become a pinata in those two losses, specifically when the Dolphins really struggled to stop the run. Uh, but I'm not so keen to just drop it on him because that's not, not a glamorous role to play, right? Kyle Van Noy is listed at 250 pounds, and he's got to step up and take a 315-pound puller on the edge. It's tough. <laughs> uh, but I thought Kyle Van Noy was well worth the money, especially, again, from the leadership and experience perspective, not dissimilar to the value that Bobby McCain had for this Dolphins defense. Their presence and veteran leadership and communication that they had was just as important in putting everybody else in the positions that they needed to to execute and make plays as what their own playmaking skills were. And Kyle, even more so than Bobby, lived up to the standard of the gold standard of what he set for himself in New England. And he played hurt with a hip injury. And he himself said at the end of the season that he played through a lot of pain throughout the course of the season. The punch list item here for uh, the linebacker group is figure out what kind of commitment you want to make to Elan and Roberts. Uh, I thought Roberts played much better as the season went on. Uh, he became a pretty stiff and uh, prominent presence uh, between the tackles. And his play really kind of took off after the bye. As far as his usage, he had some really big sticks against the Rams uh, then he was up to 73% of the snaps, 50 snaps against Arizona, 59% of the snaps against the Chargers, 77% of the snaps against uh, Denver. So the second half of the season really felt like Elan and Roberts hit his stride. But here's the problem, and this, is, this was exactly the problem that you knew was going to be the case if the Dolphins kept Raquan McMillan around. The role that he plays as a thumper, teams found him in coverage. Roberts was targeted 23 times in coverage and allowed 21 completions. Uh, yards per target, 9.6. We said Jerome Bakers was 6.1. Two touchdowns allowed, a passer rating allowed of 135.5 on 23 targets. And he missed 11 tackles this year. So how much of that happened in the early portions of the season? I got to go through the splits. Uh, Elena Roberts is here on a one-year deal, so he is an expiring contract. How easily replaceable do you think the gap-shooting role is for Elena Roberts? What kind of investment would you have to make to keep him? 
But this is a good example of a kind of player that, you know, ideally he's back and not dissimilar to uh, the Preston Williams and Nick Needhams of the world. As your roster gets better, he becomes a little bit more marginalized and he's not quite playing at the snap volume that he did down the stretch for the Dolphins. And if you could accomplish that, then Elandon Roberts is definitely a player that you want and is worthwhile to keep around. But he only played 402 snaps for the Dolphins this year, defensively. That's 39%. That's right around where they had Raekwon McMillan before they traded McMillan. And in 402 snaps, 40%, that's still the kind of volume they gave up in the passing game. That's not an enviable assessment to make because if you keep him and you want to get a coverage linebacker, now you're talking about two different roster spots to the linebacker room versus, okay, where do you, how many stops along the way this offseason through free agency in the draft can you find a player that can do both? And how realistic is it for you to assure you're going to get one? So, punch list. For the Dolphins' defense in 2021 offseason, identify and secure a designated pass rush specialist. He can be an every-down player. He can be a third-down player or a passing-down player. Long down and distances. Upgrade your cornerback room beyond what you did by bringing in Byron Jones and Noah Igbenogany. You have to find a new starting nickel for this defense, in my opinion. Make sure that Nick Needham becomes a quality depth piece and not a player that's playing 60% of your defensive snaps next year. And finally, assess this inside linebacker role, the Elan and Roberts role. Decide if you want to carry two linebackers to execute potentially one player's job and have specialists and then continue to assess how to best make the most of both of those reps so that you're not exposing yourself uh, to the kind of coverage concessions that you make with Elena Roberts on the field? Or identify and draft the one player that can do it all on the second level to really help shore up the middle of the field in coverage. Those three things happen. We're going to see the progress that this team made in 2020, and we're going to build upon it. We're going to be even better next year, which is a really exciting prospect because we're bringing back a lot of continuity on the defensive side of the ball. It's not going to take you a month to get everybody on the same page like it did last this past year. What does that say for the ceiling of the team? That's up for you to decide for now. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening. Keep it locked in. Tomorrow, uh, hello, mock draft time. We're going to do a seven-round Miami Dolphins mock draft, our first of the offseason. We'll do a couple of these. Uh, But I'm excited to kind of sit down, go through TDN Draft Simulator, and uh, kind of make picks in real time as they happen and, and talk through my thought process and Uh, Try and build a winning draft class for the Dolphins. Uh, Trade's not off the table. So we'll see what kind of offers we get. I'll leave it up to the computer. The Draft Network's uh, Mock Draft Simulator uh, does offer you trades and uh, when you come on the clock. And if we get any that are enticing, maybe we'll move and shake a little bit. Who knows? You're just going to have to come back and find out. Thanks for listening. Fins up. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins.